Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, so Friday, which was supposed to be a, a nice quiet day after the holidays, people digesting their Thanksgiving dinner turned out to be anything but with the market selling off more than 2% on news of a new potential variant. Let's get some more color here. We're three days into it, learning a little bit more about it, but let's try to get a little bit smarter about this. We can do that with Sam Vizelli. He's head of European research for Bloomberg Intelligence, but of course his day job is he is absolutely one of the top pharma and healthcare analysts in the city of London, uh, and he joins us from London. Sam, what are your thoughts? I know we're only three days into it. I know experts like yourselves are going to tell us we don't really know. We need to wait and study it. But what is your initial take from this Omicron, uh, I guess, variant or mutation? Yes. Hi, Paul. Um, so initial take remains the same. It's got a lot of mutations, more than ever seen before. Um, a lot of them overlap in areas that are identical to ones which either induce an increase in infectiousness or ability to evade uh, vaccine or prior infection-induced immunity. So all of that has to be proven. <clears throat> Although the, the, the direction of travel is not going to be, um, the direction of the way the data will come is not going to be that surprising to me, at least for the immune mm. escape. So what I think everybody's going to hope, and let's keep our fingers crossed, is that this anecdotal converse, uh, information from South Africa about milder disease actually turns out to be the case when you expand the data, but I'm not holding my breath. I was going to say exactly that. I know you're a scientist. So for you, um, you're, re you're reluctant to talk about uh, facts without having uh, proof first. But it looks like um, from all that we're uh, reading that this mutation spreads very quickly, but isn't um, as fatal as other mutations. Can we expect, um, do viruses typically, you know, historically evolve in that way, Sam? Um, eventually they do, uh, but it's not that the virus evolves that. It's that the uh, immune system and the interaction with the host evolves. The majority of people end up having an immune re uh, response to it, and they get more and more infections. So over time, the reaction to it becomes milder and milder. But I have to say, Matt, um, I, want, I definitely, definitely want this to be the case, that we've stumbled somehow on a less difficult virus. But there's no data to prove it. It's, it you know, you go to South Africa. What's the average age of the South African population? 27.6 years old. What's the average of the U.S. population? It's not 27.6 years old. Let's just wait and uh, see how this data pans out as, as, as fatality. We just have to wait. It takes four weeks from infection to uh, mortality. So that, that's, you know, there's no way that there's enough information to guide that. And Sam, I guess you know, one of the ongoing concerns, I, I suppose, is that when we think about it on a global scale, there's still so much of the world that is not vaccinated. And as long as that is the case, that we're still going to have variant after variant after variant going forward. Is that the way to think about it? It is It is a way to think about it because non-vaccinated people carry more virus, 
are more likely to infect each other and vaccinated people. So that means more virus, more replications, and more opportunity for random mutations. But on the other hand, Paul, I think what we have to also think about is did these um, variants actually come from unvaccinated people or do they have a source that's nothing to do with vaccination and it's more to do with the immune status of the, of the, of the, of the patient zero or whatever, whichever way you want to call it. And that's the critical element here. It's possibly, remember, I think the Delta variant, if I'm not wrong, uh, evolved in a patient in, in UK, um, uh, sorry, the Alpha variant in a patient in the UK that had some um, uh, immune evasion. So it just, you just really can't tell until the data clarifies. Uh, I'm, I'm reading conflicting opinions. Obviously, it takes two to make a market. We're always going to have people disagree with each other. But should we be pushing for COVID zero? Should we, should we be living um, with governments that uh, try to completely eradicate this virus? Or should we accept that it's that's not possible and we need to somehow live with it? No, Matt, I think that ship has sailed. I mean, we have to live with it. The virus isn't just for us. It, um, it can infect cats, dogs, civet cats, and white deer, which is what we've heard. No, it's not exactly often that we interact with white deer, but but if it can get into the it's animals... It's more often have, when I move back to the U.S. <laughs> that I interact with white tail deer. Oh, there you go. Now you're telling us a little bit about <laughs> what you're going to get up to there. But in reality... And I think it's over. That that ship has sailed. It is going. There is this coronavirus has eventually become endemic. That doesn't mean that they become less virulent or more virulent. Time will tell how well our immunity interacts with it over time. All right, Sam. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as always, we really appreciate getting uh, the benefit of your wisdom and your knowledge, Sam Fazelli. He's head of European research for Bloomberg Intelligence. He's also BI's pharmaceutical analyst, and he's just been covering this space for decades. He's got a PhD in this stuff, so uh, he's really a great source for us as we try to parse through all the changes that this pandemic has brought for us. So we appreciate uh, getting some time from Sam here. All right, we got a rebound in the market today after that big, big Friday sell-off concerns about this uh, new variant. Um, and the question is, obviously, what impact will that have on the economy? Well, one place in the economy that looks pretty darn strong is the consumer. Uh, let's check in with Matt Forster, Chief Investment Officer, Lockwood Advisors at BNY Mellon Pershing. Matt, thanks so much for joining us here. As you think about you know, the remainder of this year and then into 2022, how are you thinking about the consumer and the health of the consumer right here? Well, uh, never underestimate the U.S. consumer to spend more money than they have. And I think that's probably going to end up being the story here. So right. what we see is that, you know, U.S. consumers have are going to have to dip in their savings to buy their preferred basket of goods or uh, holiday spending. Um, we know the savings rates are already below pre-COVID levels. So I think analysts should be a little concerned about Hang the Hang on, that's worth repeating, that- Matt. Matt, you know, yeah. we, we, we have all been talking for a year now about savings rates that shot higher. I think at one point they were up 12% in the U.S., and last I checked, they were at 9%. Pre-COVID, I think the average was 7 and change. What are you looking at right now? Right, so I think analysts should be a little concerned about the idea of a money illusion and a lot of the data that we're looking at. In other words, nominal numbers are up, um, and yet the real data is decidedly weak. 
And we're certainly seeing that in you know consumer income in general and just U.S. household income. The real meaning, real like, meaning, money minus inflation, or what? Exactly after inflation. So the question, is, you know, real wages here are are falling quite dramatically. So the real purchasing power of the U.S. consumer is falling, uh, and that's likely to play, you know, put a little bit of pressure on more on markets and spending as we go into the, you know, next couple of weeks. Certainly, it looks like there's more. Foot traffic across the malls, according to you know some of the studies just just being done uh, you know real time practically from real Black Friday, um, but that doesn't mean the actual spending is going to tick up. We're probably above mm. where we were last year. The question is whether it's going to be you know enough to meet the expectations that are well, built into some of the stock prices. And not much if you if you actually look at the um, Bureau of Economic Analysis it puts out the U.S. personal savings rate. Uh, it's a percentage of your disposable income. And uh, right now we're only at 7.3%. I would have thought that it's higher. In fact, the five-year average is 9.6% because of the spikes that we saw over the last couple of years. So um, I think it's really interesting. Paul, if you want to check it out on your Bloomberg terminal, the um, the index is P-I-D-S D-P-S. P-I-D-S D-P-S index. Yep, got it. Boom. All right, so it's interesting, Matt, here. I mean, you talk about the... I guess it brings us back to the question of inflation. That's been a driving you know, issue for this market over the last several weeks and months. What is your inflation call? Are you in a transitory camp, or are you saying, eh, this might be something more and we really need to pay attention? Well, I think the news over the last couple of days about you know another uh, variant of the virus making its way through is definitely going to hurt the supply issues that have been uh, you know, running rampant throughout the economy. I think that's still you know, a problem. And there's at least two reasons to continue to be a little bit pessimistic about inflation coming down, and that is the owner's equivalent rent portion of the CPI, uh, as well as energy prices, which, of course, got a big hit uh, on uh, Friday, and we're back off from 85 to 73 on West Texas Intermediate Crude. Um, but that's still a lot higher than where we were you know, throughout most of the year, so it's still impacting uh, consumer wallets. Uh, so... Um, uh, so I think the inflation story is that uh, it's not as transitory as expected. I, I would mention, though, that markets have firmly bought mm. into the transitory story. Yep. And uh, they continue to price in the idea that inflation is going to fall. If it does, that's going to be really good news for markets. Um, you know, it will make real interest rates go higher, uh, but it'll you know do so in kind of a benevolent way because inflation is coming down. Matt, so, but I'm interested. We've got a ways to go. <laughs> I'm interested in what you do. In your job at Lockwood, you design and manage Lockwood's proprietary investment models. What gets you pumped? What When you wake up in the morning and you're headed to work, what are you like, yes, about? <laughs> well, uh, you know, we have uh, a couple of last year, we moved our portfolio into a little place where it would be less inflation sensitive. So that could be a whole host of things. Um, you know, we've increased our exposure to, say, uh, commodities or even precious metals like gold. Uh, you know, some additional tips exposure uh, just to, uh, you know, try to take the edge off of, uh, you know, the inflationary story. Uh, because I think, um, you know, portfolio, you know, generally inflation is not a particularly bad thing for, you know, uh, nominal portfolios for, you know, your, your 60 40 portfolio. Uh, inflation doesn't hurt that much. You know, most portfolios, model portfolios that we manage uh, and those of uh, other firms that we have on our platform, they, uh, are positively correlated with inflation going higher. So stocks are not a terrible uh, hedge against inflation, but 
you know, inflation could run, you know, a lot stronger than I think that anybody in the market was expecting. And I think we've got at least another couple of months to go on that story. All right, Matt Foster, thank you, Forster, thank you so much. We really appreciate getting your thoughts here. Matt Forster, Chief Investment Officer at Lockwood Advisors at BNY Mellon Pershing here. So just kind of getting a sense, you know, after that big, big sell-off on Friday that caught a lot of folks, um, you know, Matt, by surprise here, I think, when you looked at some of the pretty good volume on the sell side on the way down, getting a little bit of a bounce back here. But as Sam Fazelli was suggesting uh, and some other experts that we've spoken to are suggesting we're really going to have to wait and see over the next couple, three, four weeks uh, to see kind of perhaps what this new variant means vis-a-vis uh, -vis, um, the uh, vaccines that are already out there. Looking at Twitter, Matt, it's resumed trading. It is now up uh, about 4.7%, trading about $49.30. So that stock is trading again. Let's check in on these markets because they're trying to claw back some of the big, big losses uh, that the market experienced on Friday. Let's check in uh, with Jeff Kleintop. He's a chief global investment strategist for Charles Schwab. Jeff, what did you make of the trading? Hopefully you were home digesting your Thanksgiving dinner. But what did you make of the trading we saw on Friday? Well, obviously, it's a, a big sell-off on, on the news of, of Omicron. It was a day of light volume, and that's when these knee-jerk reactions can happen. <clears throat> Excuse me, can happen. Investors recognize the potential for economically damaging lockdowns, and we know some people have been hesitant to rejoin the workforce due to virus concerns, and that could prolong and, and worsen the inflation situation. So all that came into play on Friday. But today, of course, investors are buying the dip. We know... Investors know prior scares and new waves were buying opportunities, but obviously it's too early to take this rebound as an all clear. Markets could remain volatile over the next couple of weeks as more information becomes available. Well, I guess this gives you the opportunity to um, uh, to, to pick a side, right? If you think that the Omicron virus is going to be mild and that um, governments will chill out when it comes to travel curbs, you can go ahead and buy this dip because we're still only up uh, a couple hundred points on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and we were off 900 on Friday. In fact, we're up 85 points on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and we were off 900 on Friday. So um, you can you can place a bet here. I, you know, many investors are sitting on cash trying to decide if they should put it to work. They wanted a pullback, but now they're not too sure, and I think they should consider international developed stocks for the coming year. There are several reasons. Global growth is still likely to be above average next year, supported by fiscal policy and pent-up savings by households and business capex. Valuations outside the U.S. are attractive. In fact, there are some bargains. In Japan, the P.E. ratio is below the 20-year average, just as markets are fretting over sky-high valuations here in the U.S. And frankly, cash is trash right now with inflation outpacing cash yield. So I think even in light of Omicron, there are opportunities to put cash to work. And there are some things we do know. Sure, there's a lot we don't know. But there's plenty that we do know. We knew that there was likely to be a winter wave of COVID. In fact, we're already seeing that in some countries. And there will be new variants. Um, you know, COVID is becoming endemic rather than pandemic. So this is a total surprise. We also know that the vaccines and boosters are likely to provide at least some protection against the Omicron variant because they stimulate not only antibodies, but immune cells that attack infected cells. And we also know that we have a toolkit 
to combat new variants if needed. The messenger RNA vaccines can be modified in as little as 30 days, and antiviral pills to treat infections when caught early for Merck and Pfizer could be coming in the next month or two. In fact, tomorrow, the FDA has an advisory committee meeting on Merck's pill. So we know enough that it makes more sense to stick with your investment plan here and put that cash to work rather than abandon it, as some appear to be doing on Friday. All right, Jeff, given that backdrop and given the, the I guess, a new level of uncertainty introduced into the market on Friday, what is your 2022 outlook? Where should we be focusing? Yeah, it's a pretty positive outlook. And, and although there are plenty of risks, and not just from Omicron, but there's you know potential rate hikes and there's inflation issues and shortages. But I think if you take a look at the growth picture, we are looking at, with 2021 and 2022, the strongest back-to-back years of global economic growth in nearly 50 years. You've got to go back to 1973 to see a stronger back-to-back scenario for global growth. <clears throat> a really strong, booming economic environment. I don't want to lose sight of that. And that means focus on economically sensitive equities. The ones that sold off the most on Friday are think of the place you want to be, cyclicals. Of course, many of those are concentrated outside the U.S., where the indices aren't so much in tech and healthcare, but more in industrials and financials and energy. And I think that those are areas we're going to see uh, real opportunities here uh, for for leadership in 2022. All right, where do you? Well, I was going to quickly ask. We only have 20 seconds. Where do you think we're going to see rates? What's the Fed going to do? Uh, you know, I, I, I think the Fed is going to stick with its path uh, of, of tapering. I think where we could see a change is a December rate hike by the Bank of England may get pushed out yet again after they surprised in November by keeping rates unchanged. So that's where we might see the Omicron effect on, on central bank policy. All right, Jeff, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Uh, appreciate getting your thoughts and perspective. Jeffrey Kleintop, Chief Global Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab & Company. Um, so we always appreciate that. And again, still has a constructive outlook for 2022, as I think you know, we've heard from uh, many guests uh, over the last couple of days, given the volatility that's come back into this market with the new variant. Uh, most investors keeping that longer-term view. Matt, you know, walking around uh, New York City, you know, the holiday season kicking off here. I think the crowds are certainly starting to pick up a little bit as I kind of, you know, wander down Fifth Avenue and Madison Avenue in the shops and everything like that. So it's certainly not normal by any chance, but had the Thanksgiving Day Day Parade. They're going to light the Christmas tree at the Rockefeller Center, and we'll see to what extent. Do you know what's interesting? I got back to Berlin yesterday, and uh, it was Sunday, so... Of course, the supermarkets are closed. Germans don't like to work on Sunday, which makes life inconvenient for Americans like me. But what it meant was I had to drive to the main train station, the only place you can buy like milk and eggs on a Sunday. And I noticed that they were taking down the Christmas market. Ah. So everything that had been set up in preparation for the holiday season is now being dismantled here as we prepare for lockdown. Oh, jeez. All right. Well, let's see how things are proceeding here real estate-wise here in the U.S. Angie Solanke joins us, uh, National Director of Retail Services for the United States for Collier's. So, Angie, give us a sense of kind of, you know, kind of we're 20 months into it here, just the overall real estate market in the U.S. Uh, it, you know, I'm looking around at offices. It seems to be a hybrid work model, seems to be the model that's developing. So it must still be tough for commercial real estate. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, both uh, Matt and Paul. And um, I would definitely say we're seeing a comeback. Uh, it is hybrid at the moment, but I think we're really forecasting for Q2 
one uh, of next year, a strong comeback in the office sector, and that's going to help and support what we're going to see in retail. You know, right now we've actually seen just for um, the month of November an increase in spend with shoppers coming back to stores um, and really filling up, you know, their their basket list of holiday gifts. So we're we're going to see a nice healthy, um, you know. Third, I should say fourth quarter of this year, but also a holiday spent. We did see, or I did see, I was back in New York for pretty much the entire month of November, a lot of big empty storefronts. And I'm not talking about mom and pop store shut or delis that are empty. I'm talking about big box stores like H&M and Container Store that had just abandoned their posts. And uh, I'm wondering how much of that empty space um, you expect to fill up. Well, I definitely think it will happen. It's going to be a slightly slower recovery for our denser urban markets, uh, but they will be back. Um, they're definitely, the retailers have figured out how to adjust their locations, their portfolio, the whole omni-channel. I mean, what we saw in, you know, foot traffic, um, stores, you know, stores have seen foot traffic up by 48% this year. I mean, we've actually seen foot traffic in the South, followed by the Midwest, West, and Northeast, uh, where actual foot traffic came back to stores at the same level of 2019 on Black Friday. Why so is it they're going to be back? Why is it mm-hmm. that the dense uh, urban centers that um, New York City, Chicago, um, uh, Los Angeles are seeing those uh, big retailers abandon them? Are they moving out to the suburbs? Is the, are they going where the business is? Are people not coming back yet to offices as much as they uh, maybe could? Yeah, it's a combination of a variety of different variables. One that you just described, which is, you know, the office workers aren't really here. Um, most people are working from home still. So, of course, the suburban markets have seen a flurry of activity. However, it's not going to take away from, you know, the core urban uh, markets because that's where people still love and enjoy to come to and shop and enjoy with all the different experiences, whether it's restaurants or, you know, as you mentioned, the lighting of the Christmas tree and Rockefeller Center, uh, et cetera. So what's happening really is you also have other elements, right? So you have, you know, just um, the the change we've seen in just labor um, and bringing people back into some of these markets. Uh, but they will be coming back. Retailers are going to come back just as the market and, and tourism comes back as well. I mean, tourism plays a huge part in this. Uh, and we're, I mean, we were seeing a nice, you know, shift with tourism coming back uh, in New York um, and here also in San Francisco, my home base. And it's also it's also kind of now slowing down a little bit with this new variant, um, and hopefully that will soften up, or the lockdowns will either slow down, and we'll start to see tourism come back even much more stronger in Q1, Q2 of next year. So, Angie, just in terms of retail, we're in the holiday shopping season here. Is there is it still that the U.S. retail market in terms of these department stores still overstored? Still need to see a lot of closures. Is that kind of still the case? No, we're actually seeing um, this is the first year we've actually seen more store openings than store closures. So uh, they have taken the time over, and this is pre-pandemic, where retailers have looked at their entire portfolio and readjusted to look at how do we sell online, how do we sell in-store um, or on-demand delivery. So it's not anything new. It's just been in the works, I would say. And so we're at a point where it's still being, you know, there's definitely going to be certain areas 
areas where we'll see closures, but the um, portfolios that have been re- kind of reassessed, that's starting to um, be done and complete, and we're starting to see retailers expand again. There's a handful of retailers looking to expand not only just this year, but next year and into Q1 of 2023. All right, Angie, thank you so much for that. We really appreciate getting the update there on real estate, uh, particularly on the retail side. Angie Solanke, National Director of Retail Services for the U.S. for Colliers, uh, getting an update there. So, again, a pretty decent start to retail sales from what we're hearing across the board. Foot traffic uh, coming back, uh, and that's a good thing. And, of course, the the e-commerce continues to be a key, key driver of retail sales. Uh, We saw that clearly accelerate during the pandemic. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.